there are a lot of things that claim to be the greatest. There are a number of places that are supposedly serving the greatest cup of coffee. But as we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hyperbole or exaggeration when we say that the birth of Jesus Christ is the most significant event in all of the history of mankind. It is appropriate that Dionysius decided to divide time based on the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so is Dionysius that came up with the distinction of B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, Latin for in the year of our Lord, to celebrate the significance of Jesus Christ's birth. And from that time on, both the Julian and Gregorian calendars have recognized that distinction of time before Christ came and the time since Christ is alive. For Advent this year, as we focus upon the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to exegete Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I'm going to begin, at least, by looking at this verse, phrase by phrase, in the ensuing weeks. Today, I'm just going to focus on the simple phrase, in the fullness of time. And what is conveyed in that idea that in the fullness of time, it was that God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. As we think about the fullness of time, there are four elements at least that make up this connotation of fullness of time. First, the fullness of time includes the idea that Christ's birth was at an appointed time. At an appointed time. Note the context, if you're with me in Galatians chapter 4. If you look at verse 1, it states, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's owner of everything, but is under tutors and governors. And now this phrase, until the appointed time of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, so included in that fullness of time is the time that is appointed by the Father. God established a specific time for Jesus to come into the world. The idea of God's appointing of specific times is a common thread through the scriptures. For example, in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end it shall speak. Psalm 102, verse 13, You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. 
The birth of Christ was not a random event. God the Father was not shooting from his hip when he sent his son into the world. It was not an afterthought. Rather, it was a fixed time that was deliberately set by God the Father. And so another way in which we can think about this is, again, that it's a fixed time. For example, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So when they had come together, this is the resurrected Jesus with the disciples. When they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, that God has set, that God has established, that God has determined. There is a determined time for which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return just as there was a fixed appointed time for Jesus to come in the incarnation. God had a fixed time for Jesus to be born that came to pass at the precise day and moment. Secondly, the fullness of time includes the idea that Christ's birth was at an appropriate time or a suitable time. That God did not act impulsively when he sent his son into the world, but that it again was planned out. In the lyrics of Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, there is a song, and of course this is not uh, a biblically sound uh, representation uh, of uh, the gospel, but in Jesus Christ Superstar, there is a song that has these lyrics. I'm not going to sing it, but I will read it. Every time I look at you, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. You'd have managed better if you had it planned. Now, why'd you choose such a backward time in such a strange land? If you would have come today, you would have reached the whole nation. Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. Don't get me wrong, just want to know. Well, the perspective is that there would have been a better time, that there would have been a more suitable time, a more appropriate time. And the lyricist asked the question, why not come today? If you would have come today, you could have reached the whole nation. Now there's mass communication. Jesus came at the wrong time. This verse teaches us that Jesus Christ came at precisely the right time, the appropriate time, the suitable time. Now, many different commentators have made suggestions as to why the time that the Lord Jesus Christ came was the most appropriate and suitable time. Uh, often uh, the uh, Roman uh, government is cited in terms of the expansion, uh, in terms of the size of the Roman government and how uh, the language barrier was broken down. Uh, there are many things that are cited as, as I say, but I'd like to point out just two things this morning for you that illustrate the 
appropriateness, the suitability of the time in which Jesus was born. The wonderful plan of a sovereign God. These two examples both point to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first is that Jesus was born during the time that the government had a death penalty, that there was capital punishment. For the scripture tells us, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus was put to death by a government and that he died in a time in which there was capital punishment. He needed to die on account of our sins. There are those sins that indeed are worthy of death, not only spiritual death, but physical death, as in the taking of a life. And he died for murders. He had to be put to death by a government. But much more than simply the fact that Jesus was born at a time when there was uh, a death penalty by a government, what is much more notable is that Jesus Christ died at a time when there was a crucifixion. A crucifixion. Now let me unpack that for you a little bit. First, the Word of God teaches us that part of the curse, part of the judgment that came upon a sinner that died for their transgression was that the body would be displayed on a tree. If you look earlier in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, and now we have this Old Testament quote, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's quoting Deuteronomy, and listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You should not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance. The cross was commonly referred to as a tree, for it was hewn from a tree. And both the Romans and uh, secular and biblical society would often refer to a cross as a tree. For example, listen, Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Acts 13, 29, and when they had carried him out, all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. Acts 10, 39, and we are witnesses 
of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So he is hung on a tree. Not hung in this sense, but hung in the sense that he was draped on a cross. However, there is still a far greater significance in the manner in which Jesus died in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In John chapter 17, uh, you can just listen as, as I read. It's a familiar passage, but uh, I want to drive home the last two verses. John chapter 17, referring to the death of the Lord Jesus, it says this. Since it was the day of preparation, speaking of the day in which Jesus died, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. Uh, let me just give you a bit of background here. Uh, it's interesting that the reason they weren't going to let him hang for longer than a day was because it was the Sabbath. That was the reason. But in the Old Testament, we find out you're not allowed to hang someone for longer than a, than a day. But in the sovereignty of God, it so happened that he was going to be brought down. But the way in which a person actually died on the cross, the cause of death was suffocation. Uh, you would die from not getting enough air into your lungs. Uh, the death of the cross was a, a very cruel and painful death that was slow and agonizing and took place for literally hours. And the reason for that was that your arms were draped across the, the arms of the cross, the feet were placed on a a ledge, and of course there were nails that were placed into the ankles and into the wrists, uh, hanging a person on the cross. And as a person hung upon that cross, in order to breathe, they had to physically push their body up to be able to gain a breath of air, because they were hanging down. They were unable to take a breath. They would have to push up with their feet Hence the little shelf, and of course as they were pushing up, they were pushing against these uh, nails that were driven into their hands and into their ankles, and so it was a very painful thing, but they would be pushing themselves up. So the reason when they wanted these people that were hanging on the cross to die quicker, they broke their legs. So that it enabled that it, it, it uh, rendered them incapable of pushing themselves up, and so they would suffocate. <clears throat> Having said that, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once they came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. 
that you also believe. And then it gives these two reasons. First, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Number one, not one of his bones was broken. Not one of his bones was broken. Points out, the other two, their bones were broken. But Jesus' bones were not broken, which is a fulfillment of a number of portions of Scripture, but was in keeping with the uh, Passover lamb. It says, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take away of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. His bones were not to be broken. But there is something else going on here that is very important for us to understand. When you think about these Old Testament prophecies, and you think about the birth of the Lord Jesus, and you think about the, the prophecies concerning his death, and the fact that it says that not one of his bones was broken, think with me about the way in which capital punishment was administered in the Old Testament. It was not by crucifixion. In the time of the Jewish people, people were put to death by stoning. Stoning could occur in one of two ways. You could pick up stones and stone someone, or you could take them up to a cliff and throw them over the cliff and let him be dashed to pieces on the stones that were before. Both methods were used in Israel, both of which most often resulted in broken bones. It was significant that Jesus was going to die for the sins of the people, but his bones would not be broken. Secondly, in John chapter 19, verse 37, it says this. Again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. They will look on him whom they have pierced. Jesus' side was pierced by a spear to make sure that, in fact, he was dead. This is a quotation of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. The colt of a donkey. Uh, gave you the wrong verse there. But it's in Zechariah chapter 9 that uh, Jesus is referred to as uh, looking upon them, uh, looking upon him whom they have pierced. It's also found in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and the tribes of all the earth will wait on account of him, even so, amen. So they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Again, if you think about Old Testament, crucifix, uh, Old Testament capital punishment uh, administered by stoning, the body would not have been pierced. There would have been no piercing of the body. It would simply have been dashed upon the rocks or the stones would have broken the bones, etc., and the person would have died as a result. But there was no piercing. 
in the fullness of time, in the providence of the sovereignty of God, Jesus Christ died in a time where capital punishment existed, where he was going to be died, die by hanging on a tree without a, without a bone being broken and his body being pierced. Everything was in motion. It was the right time. Jesus Christ, superstar, says, if you would have come today, you would have reached the whole nation. We put people to death by the electric chair or a lethal injection. He came at the appropriate, designated, suitable time. Third, the fullness of time includes the idea that Christ's birth was an accomplished time, a time when events were completed that would lead up to the birth of Christ. The aspect of fullness speaks of a gradation. It speaks of a series of events taking place. All of those events that led up to the birth of Christ had to be fulfilled. Uh, in John chapter 7, verse 8, for example, Jesus, speaking to his brothers, when they asked him if he was going to go up to the feast, said, you go up to the feast, I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Meaning that all the events have not yet completely come to pass. So in the fullness of time, all the events that were associated with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ had been taken place. All the prophecies had been fulfilled. And I'm not going to take time this morning to go through all those prophecies. Let me just give you one. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it reads, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall appear, prepare the way before thee. It's a quotation of Malachi chapter 3. It's referring to the birth of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 2 makes it clear that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3, this one that had to come to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the whole birth account in Luke chapter 2, how Elizabeth, who is uh, related to Mary, is giving birth to John the Baptist. He is born first. He goes before. That had to happen before Jesus came into the world. He had to be preceded by this one that is proclaimed in Malachi chapter 3. He's preceded by merely months. But the point is, that had to occur before Jesus could come into the world. The fullness of time speaks to the accomplishment of every single prophecy of the scriptures. Even the very delivery of Jesus is referred to 
as the fullness of times. Listen to the gospel account. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this registration was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up out of Judea, out of Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into uh, Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And it, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should bring forth a child. The days were accomplished. Uh, the ESV says, the time came. The uh, NAS says, the days were completed. The thought is that her pregnancy came to full term. Jesus was not a preemie. He was not born early. He was not born late. He was born at the fixed time, at the appropriate time, at the suitable time, at the exact time that God had established for him to be born. The fullness of time includes the idea of an anticipated time. A time that was looked forward to. A, a time that people were waiting to be completed. These prophecies having fully been accomplished. All the way back in the Garden of Eden. With the very first man and the very first woman. After the fall, after they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after it was proclaimed that they had sinned and would have to die, God says, I will put enmity between you, now he's talking to the serpent, the uh, evil one that had tempted Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So a descendant of Eve is going to be born. He is going to strike the head, that is a deadly wound, of the evil one. The evil one will smite his heel. That is, bring a measure of hurt and damage, but cannot take his life. That is prophesied all the way back to the very first man and woman. And that set in motion the anticipation of the time in which a child is going to be born. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And from the time of Isaiah on, they're looking for the birth of this child, of Emmanuel and God with us. The whole nation of Israel was looking forward to and anticipating the birth of the Messiah. 
This is illustrated even in the Passover meal. But I'm not going to go into all that this morning. But listen to this account. One person in particular, Simeon, a priest, was anticipating and looking forward to the birth of the Messiah. Luke chapter 2, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Messiah. He was doubt. He was devout. He was godly. He was living in his life in anticipation that one day the Messiah is going to come. And he was doing his priestly duties for years, looking forward to the time that the Messiah would finally come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death or for he had seen the Lord's Christ. God revealed to him, you're not going to die until you see the birth of the Christ child. And he, that is Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that is to circumcise him, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. This anticipated, prepared, fixed, appropriate, suitable time. I have seen it. Everything was appropriate, suitable, at the exact moment, at the exact time. And people lived in anticipation of that. I would submit to you that, that those are marvelous truths. They, they teach the authority of the scriptures. They teach the sovereignty of God. They are amazing, specific prophecies. But I would submit to you this morning that there's a lesson for each of us to learn about the Lord's second coming. Second Peter 3.3 3 says this, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since... The fathers fell asleep. All things are continuing as they were from the beginning. We know that's not true, but I want to focus in on this statement. Where is the promise of his coming? Why hasn't Christ come back yet? We are to be living in anticipation of the Lord's return. Have you grown weary? Have you grown doubtful? Have you grown uncertain about the reality of the Lord's return? 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. God's not a procrastinator. 
God didn't forget about his promise. God is not just sidling idly by in heaven. But rather, just as Christ came in the fullness of time, Christ is going to return in that same fullness of time. At the appointed time that only God the Father knows, but has been determined before the foundation of the earth. At the set, fixed time, Jesus is going to return. At the appropriate time, at the suitable time, at the best time, when all of God's purposes are complete, Jesus will return. He will return at an anticipated time. We are to be looking forward to. We are to be longing for. We are to be praying for the Lord's return. Unless we think that God is slow concerning his promises, let me just end with this simple thought. We have not yet been waiting for Christ's return as long as the Old Testament saints were waiting for his birth. They were waiting longer for the birth of Jesus than we have been waiting for the return of Jesus. So let our understanding of Jesus' birth confirm in our own hearts and minds the reality of Jesus' return. He's coming back in the fullness of time, just as he came the first time in the fullness of time. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that in your great sovereignty and wisdom, you who do all things right, sent forth your son to be born of a woman in the fullness of time. Lord, it's a joy to think about all that is included in that idea of the full time, at the appointed time, at the appropriate time, at the anticipated time, Jesus Christ has returned, uh, came at the time in which all things were accomplished. Lord, help us to look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be Simeons. May we live in anticipation. May we minister in anticipation of waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus, even as he was waiting for the birth of the Lord Jesus. And who knows? Oh God, in your sovereignty, maybe we will not see death, even as Simeon did not see death until the Lord returns. But oh God, if not, we know the reality. We know the truthfulness. We know the certainty. We know that nothing can delay, nothing can thwart, nothing can overcome. And at the exact moment that you have determined for all eternity that 
Jesus Christ will return, he will return. It will be the appropriate time. It will be the suitable time. Lord, help us to be waiting, watching, longing for, looking to the return of the Lord Jesus. Even, may we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen.